welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 63. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, the prequel to Breath of the Wild, coming soon for Nintendo Switch. I've also been playing a really interesting indie game called Teardown, which is a heist sandbox game from Tuxedo Labs. I've also been playing a whole load of F-Zero for a new entry in my History Of series. So, it's a busy show, let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week, and we're only a few days away from the next-generation deluge of games and next-generation consoles with the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. I can hardly contain my excitement, to be honest. I'm still hopeful of securing an Xbox Series X, but I doubt if I'm going to get one in time for day one here in the UK. I did read some reports that more consoles would be available on launch day on November the 10th, and one website I have found which is really, really useful is called Stock Informer. I think it's only available in the UK. I don't know if you know about that one, but if you're looking to bag a next-generation console, then maybe that website is a good tool for you. So I am getting a PS5 on day one, and I got my confirmation from game last week. And I also managed to pick up Demon Souls, an extra controller, Spider-Man Miles Morales for the day one launch. And I think I'm going to get the controller and the games before the console, so I'm just going to have to imagine what that haptic feedback feels like. And it kind of takes me back to when I was a kid, and I really wanted a Game Boy, and I ended up making one out of a sponge and uh, pretending that was an actual Game Boy. So that kind of gives you a bit of a picture of how obsessed I was as a kid. So also, next week, there are some big releases. We've got Destiny 2 Beyond Light coming out on November the 10th. Got Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Got Godfall. So there is a big Destiny 2 focus on the This Week in Video Games YouTube channel. So I'm really, really looking forward to that one. And Godfall 2. That has also got me really hyped. So let me know what you're looking forward to concerning next gen, either down there in the comments on YouTube or get in contact with me on the podcast through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games where you can contribute to the show with questions comments and video game stories too so always really really good to hear from you right that is enough of my waffly intro today let's get into what i've been playing this week so this past couple of weeks have been a busy one so nintendo released a demo out of the blue for their new Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity game. So I've never really been into Dynasty Warriors or tried out that style of game, so I was interested to jump in and see what the fuss was all about. To be honest, the main thing that has me excited for this one, and many others I'd imagine, is the Breath of the Wild tie-in. So it is pretty much a sequel to the main Switch Zelda outing, and I'll bring you my impressions of the demo coming up first in the show. I've also been playing Teardown, so this is a new heist sandbox game from Tuxedo Labs. And this one caught my eye earlier on in the summer with its unique physics and destructible environments. Looks really, really cool indeed, and I'll bring you my first impressions of that later on. So given we are thinking about launch titles and new consoles over the next week or two, I thought it'd be really good to revisit a launch title from my childhood, and I went back to play a whole bunch of F-Zero from the SNES and delved into the history books too. So this was one of my favourite games, and it was the first step to bring arcade graphics and sound into the home. Yes, you used to have to go to arcades and pay extra money to experience great graphics and sound. 
And finally this week, a game was released recently on Xbox Game Pass, which I think you should play if you haven't played it before. It's called Day of the Tentacle. So this is another one from my childhood, and also one of the best, if not the absolute best, point-and-click adventure games that there ever was. And if you haven't experienced this adventure, and you like time travel, then this is going to be the game for you. And I'll bring you my review of that game, which has been about 27 years in the making. But first of all, let's dive into my first impressions of Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity. Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity has got a demo out on Nintendo Switch, which is free to download ahead of the launch on November the 20th. Much more Breath of the Wild than its predecessor Hyrule Warriors, Nintendo have done a great job of marketing this one as a Breath of the Wild prequel, and it's got fans hyped up and I really, really look forward to the release. The visuals and mechanics of the game are very Breath of the Wild, with Curry Tecmo bringing in the Sheikah Slate abilities like bombs, ice and magnetism. The battle mechanics of Hyrule Warriors have been mixed in really well here, with Link and other party members feeling really powerful when you run into battle. So Moblins and the other enemies go flying in their absolute hundreds. It's really, really cool to see. The game has been set up as a prequel, and as such, Age of Calamity is set 100 years before Breath of the Wild, and we saw glimpses of this battle in Breath of the Wild itself, with the champions falling in battle against Calamity Ganon. The snippets we saw were in cutscenes and memories, and Age of Calamity looks to finally fill in the blanks for us, so there's various playable heroes in the game, including Link, Impa, Zelda, and the champions themselves. I'd not played Hyrule Warriors previously, but the battle system is super fun, and actually, I had a lot more fun than I thought I was going to. You face off against waves of enemies in their hundreds, much more than you'd face in a standard Zelda game. Battles take place on a map around Hyrule, with a map filled with friendly and enemy foes too. There's pockets of enemies, but there's also objectives marked on the map where you have to either secure a location or take out a bigger enemy or there's some kind of objective. So in the demo, there's a great battle with a guardian where you have to enable these sleeping guardians with the help of Zelda, Impa and a mini time-travelling guardian too. There's a variety of attacks including a light attack, there's a heavy attack and various special attacks which also have a cooldown. As mentioned before, you've got access to the Sheikah Slate which allows you to use bombs, the Krosis and Stasis too. So bombs are really good for destroying a bunch of enemies and you can also freeze enemies with stasis. You can smash enemies off into the distance, which is still as fun as it was in Breath of the Wild. So Age of Calamity's battles feel really good and the characters you play feel really different too. It's easy to switch between characters during battle using the D-pad. So Impa in particular is very powerful as she can make duplicates of herself. And Zelda makes creative use of the Sheikah Slate, but she doesn't feel quite as powerful as the other two characters I played. Impa for me is the most fun, so definitely give her a try. I'm looking forward to playing as the champions, in particular Daruk. So related to the narrative in the game, there's a mini guardian that can travel through time. And he appears to be in Hyrule Castle sometime in the future, and then hops into a wormhole to escape a big guardian. The narrative is super interesting as you pretty much know the fate of the champions, Link and Zelda. Similar to Star Wars Rogue One, tragedy does await, but how we get there is going to be full of twists and turns. At first, I wasn't really sure about this release, not having played the other titles like Dynasty Warriors or Hyrule Warriors, and I wasn't really too sure about this Zelda spin-off. But the fact that Nintendo has given arguably their top name to a third party says a lot, which no doubt Nintendo will be across much more than ever before. And the great thing about the demo is you can jump in without having to make that expensive commitment. 
So Age of Calamity is going to have a job on its hands coming out in November with loads of big hitters around it, plus new consoles, but this is definitely something for Nintendo fans are going to be checking out over the holiday season. So I'd say, if you're on the fence, pick up the demo and give it a try. I, for one, have been persuaded and can't wait to jump in come November the 20th. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity demo. Next up, let's check out Teardown. Teardown is a heist game in a fully destructible world where you can use anything from vehicles or explosives to create shortcuts. Originally shown off in the summer during one of Jeff Keighley's streams, I remember being hyped the first time I saw it. Now, it's out for early access, release on Steam, and the following are my first impressions of Teardown. So Teardown is a strangely exhilarating game. You can smash, break, and bust through walls in an environment that's similar looking to Minecraft, but with updated textures and environments. It's first person, and you've got a few tools like a hammer, a spray can, and a fire extinguisher to cause mayhem and ultimately escape from each level with the goods on a pre-planned optimum path. At first, it feels like a really good, well-polished tech demo, but the game has two central modes. So you've got a general sandbox that you can simply play around with the physics, smashing, jumping, and literally tearing down all manner of buildings and environments. There's also the campaign mode where you're a thief, you're down on your luck, and you're needing some extra cash for the family. The main objective in each level is to scout out the area and find the valuables and plan the fastest route to obtain all the valuables before making it off in your getaway car. You're going to have to be fast though, because once you trigger that security system by touching one of the items you're required to collect, you generally have 60 seconds to speed through the rest of the level, pick up what you need before making a getaway. Optimum paths can be found by smashing walls with trucks, banging holes in the side of houses with your hammer, or driving vans into lakes to provide makeshift bridges. Once you set up your path, then it's a race against the clock to get out of there. So tasks, they do vary. In the opening hours of the game, you're handheld through various tools and mechanics, and when you're dropped into a level for the first time, it's all about finding the location of the valuables, or perhaps you have to knock down something completely. Keep an eye on the objectives and the fail states, though, as sometimes you trigger security systems that are going to make you fail fast. So I picked up a blowtorch after the first mission, used it straight away on my second mission, only to find that fire would set off the security alarm. So that was a bit of a no-no. The exciting part of this game, though, is the race to the exit. So you're going to be scouting out the locations for the items, and then it's about planning your optimum route through the existing building. You may have to run up some stairs, so perhaps busting a hole in the wall or clearing a building completely off the map is going to help you gain that extra 5 seconds that you need to get to your van to make a clean getaway. And if you don't make it before the timer runs out, then the cops show up in their helicopter and you have to start all over again. And you're likely going to spend plenty of time surveying and preparing and maybe even practicing your runs. Some of the solutions can be really surprising. There was one job I was on where I had to get a couple of saves out of a building and into the sea, so I had to destroy some ownership records on a pier to make room for my friend's yacht, as you do. I casually went up to the building and smashed a hole in the wall rather than going through the door, and then I went up the stairs to only find I couldn't move the safe with just my hands or my tools. No worries though, I ran outside to find a truck, drove it through the building, and found the safe dropped neatly into the top of the truck just as I ran into the house. Then I drove that off the pier and into the sea. Job done. So the environment physics feel really, really good, and it's one of the big selling points of this game. So close up, there's not too much fidelity, as it gives off a similar feeling to the world of Minecraft, 
although that is kind of selling it a little bit short as there aren't much better textures here. So Minecraft is the obvious comparison as everyone can relate to that blocky world in a first person 3D space. You can knock down houses brick by brick with your hammer or burn places down with a blowtorch and the fire simulation feels really really good and realistic. Again when I was on that pier early on in the game I had to destroy a whole building and at this time I didn't know about the fire alarm warning. So I went about my business and set the whole place on fire. And much to my surprise and horror, the fire spread easily from one building to another. Sometimes the physics can feel a little bit weird. We knock down the perimeter of a building and the thing is kind of still standing on a tiny little sliver of structure. However, there's nothing more satisfying than bulldozing a warehouse and especially creating an optimum route for a whole bunch of warehouses to help me get that clean escape route. There's much more of a story to this game than I was expecting. So you've got your sandbox mode, which is great for playing around. However, after a few minutes smashing and understanding how I can interact with the environment, I needed an objective to sink my teeth into. The campaign mode is great, building tension with the heist mode, and then the tense music during the planning phase, building up to dramatic music during the 60 second getaway sequence. You'll likely fail a few times, which creates an element of time trial against yourself, and it's really satisfying to gather everything, reach that goal, with only a few seconds remaining. So Teardown provides you with plenty of tools to aid your destructive habits. So when you start out, you've got a hammer, an extinguisher, and a spray can. And you can also get into cars, trucks, bulldozers, and boats too. So each vehicle has a health bar, so smash something too much, and it's simply going to be useless to you. I did notice the water effects look really, really good in this game. Initially, on first inspection, you could write this off for having simplistic graphics, but look closer, and you're going to see something refined and in high fidelity. So I am really enjoying my time with Teardown. I was hyped when I first saw it. Now I've played the game, which is currently available in early access on Steam. I'm even more excited and I can't wait to get back to it. It's something that you can quickly dip in and out of with the sandbox mode, or you can have extended play sessions through the campaign. This might be good after a tough day at work, go into Teardown, smash up a few things and help relax like a 21st century squeeze ball. I'm certainly enjoying my time with it and it's definitely one that I can recommend you try. So the game was developed by Tuxedo Labs. It's available on PC via Steam Early Access and was originally released on the 29th of October 2020. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Teardown. Really, really enjoy it. Definitely recommend you go out there and try it. Well, next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. So at number 10 this week, we've got Minecraft Dungeons. That's down three places from last week's number 7. Number 9 this week we've got a new entry, and this one is the Dark Pictures Anthology Little Hope, no doubt boosted by Halloween. Number 8 this week we've got Ring Fit Adventure, that's down two places from last week's number 6. Number 7 this week we've got Pikmin 3 Deluxe, and that is another new entry there at number 7. Number 6 this week we've got Super Mario 3D All-Stars, down one place from number 5. Number 5 this week we've got Minecraft, down two places from last week's number 3. Number 4 this week is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, holding steady there at number 4 from last week. And number 3 this week is Animal Crossing New Horizons, down one place from last week's number 2. And number 2 this week is the final new entry with Watch Dogs Legion, and still at number 1 this week we've got FIFA 21, so still selling well there for EA. But just quickly looking at the top 10 charts this week, Nintendo absolutely dominating. So Animal Crossing at number 3, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at number 4, Super Mario 3D All-Stars at number 6, Pikmin 3 Deluxe at number 7, and Ring Fit Adventure at number 8. So Nintendo absolutely crushing the top 10. And no wonder they're sitting pretty going into next gen. They don't even really have to do anything. And I saw Nintendo up their projections for 2020-2021 this week, so they are sitting pretty relaxing at the moment, just kind of waiting for the next generation consoles to come out. 
So talking of next generation consoles and Nintendo, next up, let's have a look at the history of F-Zero. F-Zero was one of my favorite games as a kid. Up until F-Zero, the only way that you could experience these kind of graphics, speed and music were in the arcades. And I spent many a weekend on seaside piers pumping money into Daytona or virtual racing. So with F-Zero, I could now experience the fast-paced racing game in the comfort of my own living room. For those who don't know, F-Zero is a futuristic racing game originally developed by Nintendo for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, and the game was released in Japan on November the 21st, 1990, then in North America in August 1991, and in Europe in 1992. It's the first game in the F-Zero series, and arguably the most popular and iconic. It was a launch game alongside the SNES, and I got my hands on it in 1992 and was absolutely blown away. So there were three launch games, Super Mario World, Pilot Wings, and F-Zero. Super Mario World was awesome, but there was something about the speed and the music in F-Zero that was something I hadn't seen before on a home console. Super Mario World was fantastic, don't get me wrong, but it was an iteration on Super Mario 3, a formula that we'd seen for some time. F-Zero, on the other hand, felt fresh, new, and it was something much closer to the games that we could play in the arcade. So back in 1992, there was a gulf between what you could play at home and what you could play in the arcades. It seems like a funny thought now, because as kids, we used to go to the arcades and pay money for a few lives to have a time box go on an arcade machine. Graphics and the performance were much better in the arcades with Sega, Konami, Capcom and Neo Geo classics like Final Fight, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Daytona and X-Men. And at home, we could only have 8-bit experiences with the NES or Master System. Getting back to F-Zero, as I mentioned before, it's set in the future, and it's set in the year 2560, where a bunch of rich people have created a new sport based on Formula 1 called F-Zero. So you've got four characters in the game, and each one had their own futuristic hover car. So we've got Captain Falcon, Dr. Stewart, Pico, and Samurai Gora. And the player can race against computer-controlled characters in 15 tracks divided between three leagues. So in terms of development, as mentioned before, it was a launch title for the SNES and took Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development 15 months to complete. So F-Zero did have a sequel plan for the SNES, but it was cancelled and released through the Satellaview peripheral under the name of BS F-Zero Grand Prix. Takia Imamura, who worked directly on F-Zero through its different incarnations, said in 2003 that having worked on the F-Zero series and seeing the results of the collaboration with Sega, I found myself at something of a loss to how we can take the franchise further past F-Zero GX and AX. So it is really interesting to know here that Nintendo collaborated with Sega on F-Zero and they later worked together on F-Zero GX. So at the time of the original F-Zero release, Nintendo and Sega were portrayed as bitter rivals in the console wars. So F-Zero was one of the first games to show off the Mode 7 graphics, and this graphical rendering technique was an innovative technological achievement at the time that made racing games much more realistic, and the first of which was F-Zero. F-Zero didn't really recapture the excitement and audience it had for the SNES version. Zero Racers G-Zero was a cancelled game for the Virtual Boy, and after a seven-year hiatus outside of Japan, the series made a transition to 3D with the third instalment, F-Zero X, on the Nintendo 64. And that game introduces 26 new vehicles, which also include the four from the original F-Zero game. 
The hardware limitations of Nintendo 64 resulted in the game running at 60 frames per second with 30 machines on the screen at the same time, but with little processor power left for graphical detail and music. Nintendo 64 Double D expansion, the F-Zero X expansion kit, was released in Japan as the last 64 Double D add-on disc for the system. The expansion kit added a course editor, a vehicle editor, two new cups, three new machines and some new music too. The course editor was the main attraction for this expansion and was praised for its depth as it was virtually the same program the game designers used to make the courses. F-Zero GX was released for the GameCube and developed by Sega's Amusement Vision team and it's the first F-Zero game to feature a story mode. The game was initially titled F-Zero GC and the arcade counterpart of GX was called F-Zero AX which was released alongside Nintendo GameCube counterpart in mid-2003. The game had three types of arcade cabinets, standard, the monster ride and the deluxe, which resembled an F-Zero vehicle. F-Zero AX had six original courses, ten original characters, however, by certain difficult means, the six courses, however, the six courses and ten characters could also be unlocked in F-Zero GX. There were also iterations of F-Zero on the Game Boy Advance, with F-Zero Maximum Velocity, which was also a launch title and went back to the Mode 7 gameplay of the SNES. So F-Zero, F-Zero GP Legend is a second handheld game released for the Game Boy Advance and the second installment featuring a story mode. This one is based on the anime series of the same name, including a new character named Ryo Suzaka and Rick Wheeler. The final F-Zero game was F-Zero Climax and was released in Japan for the Game Boy Advance on October the 21st, 2004. And like its handheld predecessor, F-Zero GP Legend, Climax was published by Nintendo and developed by both them and Suzak. This was the first F-Zero game to have a built-in track editor without the need for an expansion or add-on. So critics agreed that F-Zero was one of the best racing games of its generation and also set the standard for the futuristic subgenre. You can certainly see a lot of F-Zero inspiration in Wipeout for the original PlayStation, but the one drawback the critics tend to agree on when looking back is that it could really have done with a multiplayer mode. The fact that players could only play against the computer AI really limited the lifespan of the game. Looking a bit closer at the feedback from critics, F-Zero was widely lauded for its graphical realism as it's been called the fastest and most fluid pseudo-3D racing game of its time. So Jeremy Parrish of Electronic Gaming Monthly wrote that the game's use of Mode 7 created the most convincing racetracks that had ever been seen on home console that gave console gamers an experience even more visceral than could be found in the arcades. Also, we've got 1UP editor Ravi Hiranand agreed, arguing that F-Zero's combination of fast-paced racing and free range of motion was superior compared to that of previous home console games, and IGN's Pierre Schneider assured readers that F-Zero was one of the few 16-bit era games to perfectly combine presentation functionality to create a completely new gaming experience. And if you want to check out F-Zero these days, it's really easy to do so through the Super Nintendo Entertainment System online for Nintendo Switch or on the SNES Classic. So if you are a Switch Online subscriber, then you have it for free, and it's well worth checking it out. Well, that is it for my short history of F-Zero. Absolutely love that game, and I really, really enjoyed going back for research for this history of project. So talking about history, let's take another trip down memory lane for me, and one of my favourite games of all time, just been re-released on Xbox Game Pass, it's Day of the Tentacle Remastered.
Day of the Tentacle is arguably one of the best point-and-click adventure games ever made with themes of time travel, icons from history, a mad scientist, lovable characters, and also an evil tentacle too. It's just arrived on Xbox Game Pass, so if you've not heard of Day of the Tentacle, now is the perfect time to jump in. Originally released by LucasArts in 1993 as a sequel to Ron Gilbert's Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle is a mind-bending time-travel cartoon puzzle adventure game in which three unlikely friends work together to prevent an evil mutated purple tentacle from taking over the world. Dr. Fred, he's been inventing in his basement again, but this time, mutagenic sludge has escaped to the river and the tentacles have had a drink of it. This sludge has turned the purple tentacle into an evil genius and he's off to take over the world, leaving poor old green tentacle to break the bad news to everyone else. The only thing in his way is a trio of teenagers called Bernard, Hoagie and Laverne. So while trying to stop the evil tentacle, the trio is split across three time periods. Bernard is in the present day, Hoagie is stuck in the past and Laverne gets sent to the future where the tentacles have already taken over. The three characters have to solve puzzles individually in their own timeline and then work together to ultimately stop the world domination of the purple tentacle. So we've got Bernard, Hoagie and Laverne. They have to find and use and trade items across time using a time-travelling toilet. I don't know if this was the first adventure game to do this, but it was really impressive at the time when Back to the Future was a hugely popular film. Having the ability to change the future with actions in the past or present is a really interesting and fun mechanic. For example, in one sequence Hoagie needs vinegar and 200 years later Laverne has a bottle of wine. She sends that to Hoagie who puts it in a time capsule and then Laverne retrieves it as vinegar. It's a really simple example of the game playing with items over time and there's loads of more awesome puzzles in the game with a similar theme but you're just going to have to find them out for yourself. Puzzles are pretty balanced, so some point-and-click adventure games from the early 90s were pretty tricky, but this one manages to strike the balance with pacing, difficulty and entertainment too. And I think the cutscenes did a really good job here and give you a little break and injection of narrative just at the right time when you need it. So the game is centred around the Edson family mansion, and in present day, it's a run-down horrible old hotel where current-day Edison does experiments in his basement. In the past, the mansion is being used by the founding fathers of the United States to hash out the text for the Constitution, and in the future, it's the base for the evil genius Purple Tentacle who's already taken over the world. Although the locations are essentially the same, the artist has done a wonderful job of making each timeline distinctive, which bursts from the screen in bright colours and beautiful design. The characters are all really distinct, so Hoagie is a heavy metal-loving roadie, Laverne is a medical student, and Bernard is your stereotypical 90s lab assistant. So present-day Edison is an eccentric mad scientist, and all the supporting cast of characters are colourful and bring a lot of fun to the adventure. Particularly, the founding fathers in the past are great fun, and helping out Ben Franklin, who's flying a kite in a storm, is a really great and memorable scene. So one of the best things about the game is the humour. Day of the Tentacle is laugh-out-loud funny, and sometimes video games really miss the mark when it comes to humour, but this one is a real feel-good story with genuinely funny moments that will have you chuckling throughout. It's a combination of the writing, the cartoon-style graphics, and also the comedic timings absolutely spot-on. Whether it's past Edison berating Hoagie for being useless or Laverne's deadpan delivery, the jokes in Day of the Tentacle are second to none. 
And there is a nice little secret in Day of the Tentacle 2. You can play the original Maniac Mansion on a computer inside Bernard's bedroom in present day. And it's an old school 8-bit adventure. And it's a pretty cool little Easter egg for that original to be written into the game itself. So the original game was developed in beautiful 16-bit pixel art. However, the remastered version has been released on Xbox Game Pass. Double Fine took charge of the remaster, with Tim Schafer being one of the original developers involved in Day of the Tentacle in 1993. The graphics have all been redrawn and it looks great on a modern day TV or monitor. And if you want, you can play the game in its original form and you can switch between the graphical modes at any time. As well as the redone graphics, Double Fine have also managed to find the original master tapes, so the game is sounding absolutely better than ever, and included here in the remaster is also some director's commentary, so if you're a long-time fan, this is an absolute delight. So I've got a lot of memories wrapped up in Day of the Tentacle. Originally released in 1993, I was a 12-year-old kid at the time who'd just got his first computer, and I was playing around with PC games for the first time, and up until that point, I'd only ever played NES games. So this kind of storytelling absolutely blew my mind. It made me feel like I was in control of the Saturday morning cartoons. Day of the Tentacle is by far one of the best point-and-click adventure games ever made. With it now being on Xbox Game Pass, it's more accessible than ever, and hopefully it will be opened up to new audiences and enjoyed by the masses. If you enjoy time travel and cartoony, wacky adventures, definitely give Day of the Tentacle a go. You won't be disappointed. So the remaster was developed by Double Fine. It's available on PC, Xbox One, PS4, iOS and Mac. But I played the game on Xbox Game Pass on PC. Originally released on the 22nd of March 2016, although the original game came out in 1993. Well that is it for my review of Day of the Tentacle Remastered. Next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. What I'm going to do is read the games coming out on Xbox Series X and S first, and then we'll go into the regular list. So we've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Borderlands 3, Bright Memory, Dead by Daylight, Destiny 2 and Destiny 2 Beyond Light, Devil May Cry 5, Dirt 5, Enlisted, Evergate, Fortnite, Forza Horizon 4, we've got Fuser, Gears 5, Gears Tactics, Grounded, King Oddball, Liftoff, Drone Racing, we've got Maneater, Manifold Garden, NBA 2K21, we've got Observer, System Redux, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and I can't wait to play that one on the Series X, we've got Planet Coaster, Console Edition, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, Sea of Thieves, Tetris Effect Connected, The Falconeer, Warhammer, Watchdogs Legion, WRC 9, and then we've got the consoles themselves, the Xbox Series S and the Xbox Series X. Whew, that was a long list. We've also got Yakuza, Like a Dragon, and we've got Yes, Your Grace. So next up, I'm going to go into the PlayStation 5 games. And do remember, there are different launch dates for PlayStation 5 across the world, so do check in your local area when that's coming out. So here in the UK, for example, we are not going to get the PlayStation 5 or the games until the 19th, but they are going to be released in America and Canada and other places around the world on the 12th of November. So first of all, let's go through the games. So we've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Astro's Playroom, Borderlands 3, Bug Snacks, of course, Demon's Souls, Destiny 2, Destiny 2 Beyond Light, Devil May Cry 5, Dirt 5, Esports Life Tycoon, got Fortnite, got Godfall, Just Dance 2021, Maneater, got Marvel Spider-Man, Mars Morales, NBA 2K21, Observer, System Redux, Planet Coaster, Console Edition, we've got the PS5 and the PS5 Digital Edition, we've got Sackboy, A Big Adventure, 
The Pathless, Watch Dogs Legion, then on the 13th we've got Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, also on the 13th we've got Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory, that one is coming out on PS4, Xbox One and Switch, we've got Monster Truck Championship, that's coming out on Switch on the 19th, we've got Star Renegades, that is on Xbox and Switch, we've got Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, that one's coming out on the 20th, and finally we've got Katamari Damacy Reroll, that one is coming out on PS4 and Xbox One on the 20th too. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, contact me through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram to search this week in video games on your favorite platform and join in that conversation. Well, thanks so much for listening. For more this week in video games content like this, subscribe on YouTube and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description, or you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Thanks again. I'll see you in the next one.